Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host alongside me, Elliot Graybird. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. Coming off of like three straight skunk hunts, but things are looking up. Things are looking up. We're going to get them this weekend, I think. Awesome. Yeah. I went all Hopefully season. We do too. I got skunked twice in teal season, then all big duck season. I did not get skunked a single time until the last Dang. last three out of the last two weekends. Well, it wasn't the last two weekends, but the last three. I, one of them doesn't even count as a hunt because the boat, you know, the whole river adventure doesn't count as a hunt where our boat broke yeah. down and everything. But I mean, still, it was supposed to be a hunt, you know. So mm-hmm. three in a row. Yeah. And I'm eight ducks off of my all time record number. I'm eight ducks away. And now I've got one, two, three, four, or five hunts left is what I've got of ducks. So I got to get eight birds and four or five hunts. I believe. I think you'll get it. I'm hoping this weekend because um, we're going to – I've never been here, but um, Aiden, no golden boy, he was down in Arkansas with the Chasing Green guys, and they had actually done quite a bit of hunting in this area of Kansas that I've never hunted. And so Aiden went down to Arkansas, hung out with those guys, and they're like, "Hey, we checked out these areas on your way up. Go look at them." And so Aiden went and looked at them, found a bunch of birds, went back the next weekend, and he and his dad shot the limit on Saturday. They shot ten, nine drakes, a hen mallard, and a pintail drake. And then the next day, Aiden hunted by himself and shot his limit. So fumbles and Aiden and myself are heading down there this weekend. So he said there wasn't weirdly. He said there wasn't much pressure. I don't, I don't know. I'm excited about it. If I can just get eight birds on the weekend, that's my goal. Eight birds. Awesome. Yeah. That's I mean, eight birds in a weekend would be a really good weekend, right? It would be. It would be. <laughs> Honestly, if I can get three, it's or not four, impossible. No, no, it's not. It probably won't be as good as it was last weekend when Aiden was there. Cause you know, it hadn't been open for like five days and, but the pressure was really light out there. So, um, which I, it just baffles me because everything I've seen is the pressure in this state has been like just so much more than it's ever been, especially out of state hunter. Um, I've talked to mm. multiple, got multiple reports from different wildlife managers and, and everyone's saying the same thing. It's they've never seen this kind of out of state traffic this year. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Definitely. Definitely probably COVID and all that. That's you know? what I'm thinking. Because I know for a fact they had a record number of um, fishing sale, uh, fish license sales. And I think with yeah. everyone just cooped up and the current climate of the nation, everyone's just stressed. And so, you know, get yeah. away with and your no friends. And no Canada hunting either. And no Canada hunting. So just getting away with your friends is sounding better than ever to people. And so I, I think that's probably what it is. I, I hope that it's not like this every year. Um, because it's just, there's so, there's so many out of state hunters right now that like I went out and these actually weren't out of state. I don't know. So I was checking tags on cars. Um, cause I was going to slice some tires. Um, no, too, too easy. <laughs> that's a joke. 
Um, but where I was hunting, I, I, a lot of times I hunt this place in January at this same pool I hunt. And sometimes, you know, it's at the beginning of the day, there'll be three or four groups. It's a big pool. Um, but then typically, you know, you get to that midday point and you kind of have it to yourself. Well, what we got it, we got there at like 1130. And by one o'clock, there was at least 10 groups on the whole pool. I mean, you, you could just look and see spinner guys standing boat moving spinner. It, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. We, we, mm. we, we sat up there for like two hours and we just left, but the ducks, there was ducks mm. everywhere. There was ducks everywhere. Like you could not look around without seeing ducks just flying, but they weren't going in on anybody. Huh. They, they weren't, they, you'd get a shot every now and then, but with that number of groups and that it, the craziest thing ever with that number of yeah. ducks flying, and that many hunters out there, there was still wasn't much shooting going on. And it's not like they just fly up high. They were coming into the pool and they would find little spots where all they would, they would all, they were so smart. These ducks were so smart. They would find spots and congregate. Um, and then every now and then they would all, there was someone would shoot too close to them or something. I don't know. And you would see them all flush up and it'd be like 500 ducks just coming up. And then you look and there's more, they're just spinning around everywhere. But, but you, it was hard to see them decoy on anybody it, it was weird yeah i've never seen anything quite like it but the whole pool is just full of millet just the whole thing's covered with milk so the food is just so fantastic that i mean i guess they were just smart and they knew what was hunters and what weren't i guess um it was not fun so we just left we left like at 1 30 we're like let's just leave i mean you could just tell you and it's just so frustrating because there's so many ducks work in the pool and None, none even looked at our spread. They didn't even look at it. So it was a weird situation. Hmm. Yeah. No. Definitely not. Uh, not preferable. <laughs> no. But. Not at all. Not at all. So we're we're not going there next next weekend. This weekend. Hmm. Yeah. So we're we're uh, to Canada goose hunting now. Um, our duck season's closed. So. We do got some geese in the area. Hopefully, we can get on them. We got a few leads. Hunter got permission on a, a field. We've been seeing them use. Um, so we'll see. If not that, there's definitely always some in the river. Um, but that's that's our plan. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be getting on them. Have you shot anything since um, since the last podcast we talked? Any geese? No. Have you been out? No. No, I haven't. We actually uh, I I took I took the weekend off. Mm-hmm. Go visit. Oh, that's family. right. That's so, right. I remember you said that. Yeah, yeah. One of the few weekends I take off during <laughs> during the season. So, is there anything special about this particular weekend? That or that weekend? Well, it's the first weekend that duck season's out. So, you, do you guys go down to um, Tennessee at that same weekend every year? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you just go like three um, weeks later <laughs> when it's not when everything's out? Uh. It's trying to keep it somewhat close to Christmas because it's, oh, okay. you know. I gotcha. Yeah. So this year, they actually, Indiana, at least the north zone of Indiana, actually all of Indiana, they pushed it back a week. So normally it's a week closer to Christmas. That's just what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the week after it, it closes, we run down there um, to visit the wife's family and all that. So, um, you know, this year was it was actually a week later. So I don't know if that was preferable or not, but. You know, was anyone resentful towards you and the family about, yeah, they can't come for Christmas mm-hmm. because of waterfowl hunting <laughs> secret w- women whispering behind your back as you come in the door. There you probably everybody probably thinks I'm a jerk. <laughs> you get along. Do you get along with your mother-in-law? 
Yeah. She doesn't oh, yeah. listen to this podcast. It's okay. You can tell. <laughs> no, Everyone heard the hesitant pause. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I'm just teasing. Yeah, my mother-in-law's awesome. Yeah. I have had awesome. some bad mother-in-laws. Plural. <laughs> <laughs> That's a unique problem. Yeah. Yeah, but honestly, we should probably get we should get uh, heading towards the main topic of the podcast tonight. Um, we did uh, you ask, we answer Q and A over there in the Fellowship of the Duck Gun, which we've been getting huge increase in numbers, huge increase of people jumping over there to the podcast group. Um, so yeah, I mean, hundreds of people grow yeah, jumping it's in here. Up. It's um, blowing up, and guys, if you come over and try yeah, to join this group, hundreds per answer week, answer the questions. If you don't answer the questions. You're not coming in, so um, when you when you try to sign up Fellowship of the Duck Guns, it's just a couple couple quick questions. How did you find out about us? How do you you know do you listen to the podcast? Whatever. Make sure you answer those questions if you want in. Yeah, and it, it, it's a little it's a little weird um, because I mean the podcast group has always grown pretty much since we've created it. It's always growing, but I don't know why. Like right here at this time. We're just getting this huge influx of hundreds of people per week joining in there. But, you know, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just trying to, you know, put two and two together uh, <laughs> as to why everybody's, you know, kind of got an interest in, in joining the Fellowship of the Duck Gun right now. Yeah, so. And also, I think that yeah. I think, no, keep them coming. I think Facebook is promoting it more because um, yeah, I've been getting on there because I love going through and approving them and just see what their answer is to the questions and stuff. And there's um, – than half, but or maybe even about half. Half there are people like Facebook, you know, suggestions or or something like that, and that's a new trend. So I don't know. Um, maybe you can almost build momentum like on YouTube to where they just start pushing it out more. I don't. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. But either way, good to see a bunch of new faces out there, and um, you know, hopefully a bunch of new new uh, people asking questions too, so we can um, answer them over here in the podcast. And you know, we haven't done. We do. I feel like we do. You know, two or three, maybe four of these a season, um, or a year, I should say. Uh, so we haven't done one since the off season, like before before season. So definitely got some interesting questions. Um, yeah. So let's go ahead, get a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into these questions. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to uh, Gunner Kennels American Made Dog Box. It is the it's double wall rotom molded. That's a patent on it. It is a tank. It's, I mean, it's going to be a once in a lifetime purchase unless you end up with two dogs and you need, you need two of them. Um, but it it's, gives you peace of mind. You throw it there in the back of your truck. I mean, you can put it in the cab if you had a small enough one. I know we both have the 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 biggest one they got, so uh, that one doesn't fit in the inside of vehicle. But you can put it in the back of your truck bed. Uh, we've seen all the testimonials. People having accidents. And their dog comes out unscathed. They're not getting crushed. I mean, they are the best dog kennel on the market. So check them out, guys. Use code DuckGun10 for 10% off. DuckGun10 for 10% off. and Or DuckGun, no space. DuckGun10 at checkout for 10% off. And one of the questions I saw um, on the Fellowship of the Duck Guns was, Jordan, where did you get that? gun stand you use in your videos <laughs> like dude are you not even promoting your own stuff in your videos jordan he got that i mean we talk about it we talk about it all the time on the podcast We've, i've made dedicated videos to my youtube channel so 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So let me ask I think the question it's for you. It's HTR Innovations. Yeah, it's HTR Innovations. It's it's a and that gun stand is awesome. It is wonderful. You definitely want to check it out and get a hold of it. They also have um, a layout pad for layout hunting, um, a backpack layout blind uh, combination, and an A-frame, which is single-handedly changed our hunting style dramatically. So HDR Innovations, check that out, hdrinnovations.com. Product code is space 10 for 10% off and free shipping. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to the Motion Ducks, Motion Duck Decoy Spreader. And guys, it's a, an awesome system where you have your ducks on a jerk rig, but it's a jerk rig on steroids. And you can have the four duck set or the seven duck. I mean, you can expand beyond that. Uh, my preferred one is the ultimate with the seven. Um, it's just the right amount of size that, you know, you can do it quickly, get it out there. And like I said, it's just like a jerk rig, um, except for you have these pucks with a central hub that spread your decoys out. And when you give that cable a jerk back and forth, it gives lifelike motion on the water, puts tons of ripples in your set. Honestly, it's the best thing I've seen on the market. Bar none. It's the best thing I've seen on the market for getting lifelike motion on the water and perfect, perfect, 100% perfect for there's no wind days. If it's no wind days and I don't have it with, with me, I'm upset at myself for not bringing it. So definitely check it out. Motionducks.com. Use 10% off for free shipping. 10% off. <laughs> Use the promo code DuckGun2020. DuckGun2020. No spaces for 10% off and free shipping. I've been hunting for 30 years now. And so for sure, I went through a lot of years of waterfowl hunting without any kind of satellite navigation system where when I went in the dark, I can look at it and figure out where I'm going to. And I can tell you, I can, I can give you multiple examples of getting lost in the dark. I can think three right off the top of my head where you're trying to go where you're going in the dark and you just, you get lost and, and you just end up wandering around in the woods. It's so easy to get lost in with Onyx, Hunt is the best of all of the modern day navigation systems for traveling in the woods in the dark or pinning locations that you like, finding landowners. There's so many features, weather, 3D. I, I had this app a couple years ago and, you know, I thought it was okay, um, but it didn't really seem that big of an upgrade just to like a, using a Google satellite image. But they have made so many updates to this thing. I'm telling you, I will never, I will never go a season without this. Ever. It is just phenomenal. It's on X hunts. So go download that. It is worth every single dime that you will spend. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to finisher. It's their website is adrenal dash line.com. Uh, guys, you've probably seen this product all over the place. If you don't have it, one of your buddies in your hunting group does. And if they don't one of you guys need to get it to try it out, but uh, the finisher is a small tool. You hang it right there on your uh, call lanyard and you use it to insert it in the back of the head, dispatching your bird super easy. And it's just a quick and humane way uh, to finish off the birds. Gone are the days of the Cajun crunch and trying to ring uh, a large goose and failing at it. You know, it, it's our responsibility as hunters to, you know, take care of our, our game and our prey in a quick and humane way. And the finisher tool is perfect for that. Check them out, guys, on their website, adrenal-line.com. they got tons of different uh, color options and designs. Pretty cool. 
and they definitely good look good on the lanyard as well. So check them out, guys. Duck Gun 15 for 15% off over there. So every offseason, I get out the old Excel spreadsheet on Google Drive, and I make a wish list of what I'm going to be wanting to upgrade with all my hunting supplies. And the place I go is Banded.com. And at Banded, you can access Avery or GHG or Avery um, Gundog. And man, I just am in love with their products. Just in love with their products. If you go back to some of my earlier videos, season one, season two, you can just kind of see all my gear. And then as we've upgraded with Banded, and you can see seasons five and season six, I mean, there's just a huge difference in the quality of the equipment. And so if you're looking for these off-season lists, in fact, I would like to sometime, Jordan, make our top five items that we want to get maybe and talk about them. I think that'd be cool. Um, and, and go through that for the off-season. Oh, yeah. So anyway, check out Bandit.com and just start daydreaming about, about all those new products your wife does not want you to buy. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. And, um, you know, I think we got we got a couple updates to talk about on Freelance Hunt Stats. Um, you want to go ahead and, and nail that uh, one as well, Elliot? Absolutely. Yet? So a couple things. First of all, um, I want to give a shout out to Aaron Snatic over on Patreon. He joined up this week. And so I just wanted to say thank you for becoming a part of the Patreon community, Aaron. Uh, make sure you message Jordan or myself if there's anything that you need. So guys, Patreon is a, it's a collaboration between Jordan and myself. And it's just extra content. In fact, at the end of this podcast, we're going to record a little bonus podcast that goes on over at Patreon only. And so, um, you, you know, if, if you like what we've got going on here and you like the YouTube videos and the podcast, and you just want to help fund what we're doing. Um, that is a great place to do it. We put lots of extra content over there. I've been putting content over there for like four years. So there's but hunts. You've, hunts have never been on YouTube. There's an extra podcast. There's just all sorts of extras. Um, so go on over to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting if you want to check that out. And um, right now, if, if you sign up for just $3 a month, you get the Patreon subscription and you get um, freelance hunt stats. And we actually just pushed through a bunch of updates to freelance hunt stats. I haven't even, we haven't even talked about it at all. There's now a scoring system and a leaderboard there's still some some kinks that we're working out on it but we've got a lot of cool changes over there did you see who's number one in the leaderboard jordan i did golden boy and it's not even yeah. close golden boy is number <laughs> one on the leaderboard so the way it works is, is every duck we've assigned a value to a mallard's worth five a wood duck is five and should be three a snow goose is two and should be three but uh, jordan got his jordan threw a little temper tantrum about those two and got his way but anyway Every duck you shoot has a numerical value to it, and then each hunt has a scorecard. And you say what your value is, and then it goes into a total. And you have a little, we have a little leaderboard system for fun. And so anyway, look at that. It's freelancehuntstats.com if you want to check that out. But the best deal by far is that Patreon two-for-one, where you can get the Patreon account to interact with Jordan and myself over there and everyone else. And then also that comes with the Freelance Hunt Stats. So thank you to all the patrons, not just Aaron. Uh, but thank you to all of you over there for helping support what Jordan and I are doing. Because it does get a little bit pricey, man. <laughs> it certainly does. Man. And we love having that place to put some extra stuff over there um, and just to be able to share some things from our personal life even um, that you won't see unless you're over there with us. So 
thank you very much. Awesome. All righty. Let's go ahead and jump on into the main part of the podcast. And um, so, as we said before, got the Q&A today. Guys, if you want to participate with these in the future, again, they're on the Fellowship of the Duck Gun. Um, we do them a few times a year, three, four, something like that. I don't know. I haven't been keeping track. But anyways, drop that comment thread on there tonight, and the questions came pouring in. So we're going to go and try to hit as many as we can up. And yeah, so let's go ahead and jump right into these. So first off, we got Austin said, what are the pros and cons for both solo hunts or two to three person hunts and large group hunts, six plus people? So I know we we probably both stand pretty similarly on this one, but I'll let you go ahead, Ellie. Okay. Solo hunts are as peaceful as you can get. And for me, they're as spiritual as you can get. I've never felt closer to God than when I'm duck hunting by myself with my dog. And so there is a peacefulness and a serenity that you can get hunting by yourself that I can't obtain anywhere else. I've gotten, I've been closer to God in those situations than I've felt in a church most times. So um, to me, that's what that is. And it's very easy to limit out when you're by yourself. It's very easy as, as a (laughs) YouTuber. It's, you know, if you go out by yourself, very easy in Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. If you go out by yourself and shoot four birds and that makes a great YouTube video. If you go out with five guys and shoot four birds, it seems like it's a terrible hunt. So that, that's a, it cer- certainly makes that better as well. My preferred, um, my, my preference is to do three. I like three men, um, especially filming because we'll have one person filming two guys shooting. So three is perfect for me. Um, you know, it's just, you know, what birds you've shot, you know which birds you've killed. You can actually take turns a little bit. And all of the interactions just goes between that solid little group of three. So it's just really, really bonding. I'm going to struggle on the on the big group one because I I don't really prefer them. But you can make you can make a rain out with a big group. Um, it feels more like, like a party and more like a festival. And also, if you're setting up big spreads, <laughs> if I'm going snow goose hunting, I want there to be a big group because of the work. And so it cut it cuts down on some of the work and everything. Up. I do try to avoid group big groups as much as I can, just because it's not my preference. But on a situation like the Flyways Collective, where we had seven, that was a blast. I wouldn't have changed anything about that hunt because we had our whole crew there. Yeah. So that, those are my quick thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree on you. Big groups. It's like the one. I'll say the only pro for me. Well, there's two pros. Sometimes you have more people. Especially like especially like on a field hunt or something where it's easy to throw in more people. Like if you have more people that want to hunt, then is easy to you know. Then you can invite them on, on a bigger group hunt again. Um, and the only other positive I would say is you do get that kind of that little braggadocious kind of you can you can put the pile yeah. and it's cool to do that sometimes. It just feels like I don't know. It feels like uh, you know you you beat them. You you won you know, the hunt versus the birds when you have a a bigger group and you can make a big pile. Um, But again, that's not my preferred method either. I I would say I'm right there with you having the the three guys and two. Honestly, if you hunt just with one other person um, a lot, you get to know them a lot, you know, really well, just when it's like a one-on-one kind of hunt. So you get to be good buddies with somebody if you're hunting just two people a lot. But And same thing with solo hunt, um, especially if you, you own a dog, um, you don't have any of the pressure of anybody else kind of um, worrying about them when you're working a new dog, especially. 
Um, you know, it could just be you and the dog, but I love solo hunts, just me and chief. Um, but I just, I don't get to do them that often because all my buddies want to hunt, um, which is fine. But when nobody can go, I still go with chief because it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I would like, um, I'll do any of them. I would like to get in a few more solos in the future. I would like maybe five a year, five, six a year. Yeah. No more than 10. No, they're definitely, definitely all, all fun. Mm -hmm. So, um, all right. Brock Hardy says, would you be in favor of a federal ban of electric decoys? Some states like Minnesota have already implemented such a ban during the first few weeks of the season. Seems like it would be, it seems like it would reward the more skillful hunters. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm fine with leaving mojos. I mean, everybody, like if everybody uses it, it's not like it hurts one way or the other. Right. So what, like if you get rid of the mojos now, nobody's using them. So like, I don't know. It's not like, I feel like everybody uses a mojo uh, for the most part. And I mean, I don't sometimes, and I feel like, I don't know. It's, it's for me, I've always hunted with them and I don't think it'd make a big difference. What do you think, Elliot? I, I certainly think the spinners are better than not for sure. I do think you would shoot less ducks without spinners because, you know, we were actually having the conversation um, over fellowship with the duck guns it's going on right now so someone's asking about should I, i'm new to hunting you know what do you think about spinners you know and 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 you get so many people like oh i prefer a jerk rig i prefer a jerk rig my comment to that is i've never seen mallards and hu- come and hover directly over jerk rigs but they do come and hover directly over spinners on a consistent basis not every hunt but typically if if you have spinners out and the, and the ducks come in and finish and they go into that hover pattern, it's right over the spinners. There's a reason it's right over the spinners. It's because they're I, w- fo- I will make one counterpoint to you. Yeah. You know, the, the hunt that me and Josh went on on the, on the collab. No, no, we had no spinner. Well, I'm not saying you can't be successful without a spinner. That's <laughs> not the point. I mean, there's days where you can go out with, with no decoys or spinner or anything. If you're on the X, I mean, so, I mean, I've, I hunted a long time without spinners. And then when spinners came onto the scene, I tried not to buy them. And it got to the point on public land where I couldn't shoot anything if I was around people's spinners. And I, yeah. I well, that's the, I mean, that's the point I'm making, though. If nobody has spinners, then nobody's going to be pulling them away from me with the spinner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I, I wouldn't probably vote for them to be outlawed, but I wouldn't care if they did, I guess. And I, yeah. I, I would okay. have to actually think about that because a, as they continue to make new products, you know, pretty soon you're going to have ducks, you know, actually little drone ducks flying all over. I mean, I don't know, but there's <laughs> got to be a limit. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I wish, I guess, I don't know. I really like spinners. It'd be hard for me to say that I want them banned, but if they were, I fought against them. Cards, I don't know. So I have to hit the button right now. Okay. Let's ban them. Yep. If I have to hit the button right now, yeah, let's ban them. <laughs> you're banning yeah. them. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. But okay. I like them. <laughs> uh steve says that a5 and then some emojis so i'm assuming he's talking about the old a5 um so quick i guess uh if that's a question um that a5 was my grandpa's he handed it down to me um means a ton to me that gun is awesome um you know i shoot better with that gun than any other gun i've ever shot i don't know why but that gun and me just go well together um you know smacking geese ducks it doesn't matter it's a 20 gauge Magnum classic a five and it does work. So, um, I love shooting it. 
and I tried not shooting it for a little while, and I just can't help but picking it back up. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the story on that. And pretty much that is uh, that is kind of my channel is somewhat named after that. Duck Gun Chronicles is kind of what I was thinking. This is my grandpa's gun, Chronicles, you know, talking about, like, stories of your duck gun. So, um, and that's it. That's what what uh, <laughs> what it's all named after, that old A5. I didn't know that. That's cool. I did not know that. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know if I, I probably should mention that more, but that's yeah, literally should. why I named it that. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. All right. Next question is from Matt, so we're going to skip that one. Um, we got Trevor. <laughs> Trevor Ray says, hiking in one mile to a small pine, small pine, small pond, what all are you bringing? How much weight decoys act? Elliot, you're up. All right, I've got, we've got two sleds. I'm bringing the small sled, a dozen decoys, um, two Go, GoPro poles, one for, or I'm sorry, two spinner poles, one for the spinner, one for the GoPro, uh, my backpack, which I'll be wearing, which is way too heavy. And then my camera bag, 24 shells, uh, 24 boss shells. And that's it. I'm not going through everything. That's in my okay. Backpack, but <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, no, I've, I've actually had to put this into practice. Uh, this year, the snake swamp is one of the new places I hunt. And it's a small piece of private property I picked up with a swamp on it. And it's really, really cool. And it's really, really hard to access. And that's probably why I have permission uh, because most people aren't, I don't even know if most people even think to hunt it or care about it. But um, so it's a small swamp and I got to park by a bridge. I got to portage through a creek or to a creek. I got to pull my kayak in there and I paddle up the kayak and then from there, I portage again from the creek through the guy's property, through all kinds of nasty stuff, up to the swamp. And so the first few times I went in there, I had way too much stuff. The first time in particular, I had way too much stuff. Um, but since then, I've, I mean, I literally limit everything. Like almost like kind of those crazy people that hike and do literally like figure out how much weight they want to have, you know, down to that. Like I limit the number of shells I bring. You know, <laughs> I go to the extremes just because of, uh, you know, just to make it as easy as possible to get in there. I mean, is dropping five shells from your pack going to make that big of a difference? No, probably not. But anyways, um, but you know, that, I've, so, I've got that banded backpack I use. It doesn't matter how far I'm going. I can pack that thing as heavy as possible and it never feels heavy. It just fits so perfect. So uh, actually mm-hmm. another way to do it is just get that seven duck decoy spreader and throw it over your shoulder and just that's what actually we did on the last time i only had the four one and phil had his four one and i did all i had was my backpack my gun and the decoy spreader thrown up over my shoulder and uh, you could walk for for indefinitely until yeah. physically you couldn't do it anymore with that load yeah no and i and i'm actually that's what i do when i go in there i will just take that motion duck decoy spreader sometimes i might take you know like four extra decoys beyond that um, and I'm usually, I'm dragging that kayak cause that, that kayak, that's the solo sportsman 119, especially if you have water situations, like we have to walk around in that pond. It depends on the type of pond or we can't walk around on the bottom of that pond. So you have to use the, the canoe or the kayak to get around. So that, I mean, that, that thing weighs 53 pounds. I don't, yeah, I mean, it's not heavy at all. It, no, yeah. So I I throw everything in there. I put the motion duck decoy spurter in there. I put my gun and my bag in there, and that's it. So as long as you have natural vegetation, if you don't, then yeah, you're gonna have to bring either something like a quack pack or a layout 
or the 360 solo blind or an A-frame and a um, sled behind you. And then you have more people. So then you can start bringing more stuff if you actually need an A-frame. But, you know, if there's natural cover like there is at the Snake Swamp, then it's just the motion duck decor spreader, the um, the backpack, the waterproof backpack, and um, a gun. And that's it. And then I guess the canoe because that's what I'm dragging instead of a sled. So, um, you know, if I didn't have to walk around on, on – or if I could walk around – on the bottom of this swamp, then I would probably switch the canoe out for sled. But honestly, the other thing, and I'm, I'm getting way too in depth on this question, but <laughs> um, when you're going through like timber areas where it's very narrow going, having something narrow like that solo sportsman 119, which is that hybrid canoe. I mean, it, it slips in between trees way better than a, a full size. So. And you know what you can do with that thing, which we've done once is as light as it is you can put a rope on the front two ropes off the front one longer one a shorter one and you can load that thing down and have two guys pull it which is a longer a longer rope with a little uh, pvc pipe cut on it and a shorter one and you can pull mm-hmm. it you can pull it like a big sled for a two-guy sled to pull oh yeah nice all right matt if you're still listening I'm sorry. It was a joke. It took a long time to get to the punchline. But we're back to your question, Matt, High Prairie Sportsman. Um, <laughs> so everybody knows we like to get at each other. But anyways, he says off-season plans. And I'll say right off the bat, I'm not going to Nebraska. So stop asking. Um, I'll come, Matt. I'll go. <laughs> uh, you're not helping. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. It's sickening. It's sickening. But – uh. Not that you like it, just Nebraska in general. Second favorite state. <laughs> if I was born there, if I if I lived equally in both places, it would be my first play, favorite state. I guarantee it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of hard to have a different second favorite state when you've only been to two states. I don't even know. That's whatever. It's an awesome state. <laughs> <laughs> how many? I mean, how many states have you been? Like to? for what? Like traveled to or spent done recreational sports in? Yeah, actually, yeah, just actually spent time in, I guess. Oh, I've been to Texas a couple times. Um, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri. Call up to Colorado <laughs> quite a few times. That's pretty much it. Okay. Well, you do have some in there. See, I'll take, um, I'll take Nebraska over Colorado just because of the amount of people. Colorado's awesome. There's just too many people. Yeah. Well, I haven't been to like any of those besides Kansas, so <laughs> I, I've been to Texas, I guess, too. Um, but yeah. So, anyways, Matt's question was off-season plans. Um, what we got going on? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have any major off-season plans. Um, you know, probably try to shoot a turkey, get on some steelhead, some salmon, a little trout fishing, little river smallmouth fishing, um, waterfowl projects. That's about it. So nothing crazy. How about you? Well, I'm actually really excited to start editing these these long form GoPro videos I've got planned on that I'm going to put on Roku. Um, I made one. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but um, I just want to make a different style of film that's just with a go just with a seated GoPro. The idea is that you'll just that people will just have it on the screen as they're going about their business. It's not like you sit down and stare at it. It's about a thirty to forty minute video. And it's just the highlights from the GoPro, but the GoPro has really good audio. And so you can actually hear a conversation off. So to just be like, you'll feel mm. like you're on the hunt. You will experience the hunt without any narration, just 
you'll feel it. And the one, the one video I made like that's actually on Patreon and uh, I'm really happy with it. So um, I'm, I'm, I want to, I'm chomping at the bit to start editing that. I've been saving all the GoPro footage all year. Um, and so I'm really excited about that idea. And those who are going to go over on Roku. And if you want to find me on Roku, just search um, duck hunting and you can find my channel over there. But um, we have one fishing trip we always do in May and, I'm excited to plan that. I think we're going to go somewhere different. We've been going to Nebraska and it just hasn't been good the last few years. So we've got some different options. Indiana being one of them, actually. Um, which I don't know if I've talked to you about that or not. Have I even mentioned that to you? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but um, so I don't know. Maybe Colorado, maybe Wyoming. I don't know. But we're, um, we're going to plan that and figure out what that's going to look like kind of late May, probably first weekend of June ish. Awesome. Alrighty. Um, so Chris asks and well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just ask the question first. So anyways, Chris asks, if you could leave the country to hunt, where would you like to go and why other than Canada? Also, what is your favorite candy? So candy, candy one's easy. What's your favorite? Peanut M&Ms. Yeah, those are good. <laughs> I like those peanut, uh, the peanut butter M&Ms. But you can't. It's hard to beat Reese's huh. Pieces, man. They're so delicious. You just take a whole <laughs> handful of them. Not it's just like, oh, those are amazing. Yeah, no, I can, I can dominate some peanut M and M's. You can. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so yeah, if we could leave the country, I mean, I haven't thought about this a lot because it's just for me, it's just not a possibility right now. But he's saying if it was, um, but I think the go-to answer is always just Argentina. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, I did see Russell Ramsey's videos on Australia and they have some cool, mm-hmm. cool ducks too with that black duck mallard. I, I don't remember what it is, um, but definitely had some cool, cool birds down there. So, I mean, there's definitely some places for sure. I just want to go somewhere where there's no pressure, a lot of ducks and yeah. Is it Ramsey and, Russell and or it Phil, Russell Ramsey? I was just going to switch. Russell. <laughs> Ramsey. Ramsey Russell. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I couldn't yeah. that No, but I, wherever I go, I just want it to feel like duck hunting. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I would call Ramsey and say, okay, I want to go to the most isolated place to shoot mallards. Or, I don't know, I might say, what do you think the coolest duck you can't shoot in the U.S. is at the most isolated location and let him just pick where that is? Because I, I don't have it. You're going to be a. You're going to be like on an ice shelf in Antarctica. Hey, oh, man. I want to feel as isolated as I can. Like, the, I want to feel like, man, there is not another person around for miles and miles and miles. That's what I want to feel. Yeah. Feel that. Awesome. All righty. Um, next one we got. Get away. Uh, I lost you there for a no, second. What would you say? Nothing. Go ahead. We're good. <laughs> All right. Dylan said. Where did all the ducks go? And so, um, I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that play into it. Weather factors, you know, uh, water levels. It's different across the country, you know. So, it's, it's uh, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure he's just probably saying he's having a bad season. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a bad season, too. And I, and I put it in my area. I put it to... Um, mostly to water level because I mean, yeah, it hasn't got as cold as it should have this year, and we haven't had ton of snow. But 
we're down like this year we've been down like two feet on water so even when we get pushes of ducks it just feels like we don't hold them at all so um i think that's a big determining factor on on the ducks staying if they don't if they don't have the same water availability i think it hurts so i don't know where you're at and what your issues might have been this season but you know it's just season to season and sometimes you get little spurts like that and um you know last season was my best season ever so um nothing you can do about it (laughs) unfortunately yeah i think you handled that one i don't have anything to add all righty scott scott hill scott hill said when will our normal seasonal weather return for waterfowl season? All right, Elliot, you want to take the global warming question? I don't know. When you talk about global warming, and this is kind of what people understand, you're not talking about like a significant increase. You're talking like an average of three degrees. Uh, that's my understanding. If, if that. that. So I guess three degrees can make a big, I don't know. Because I feel like we're due. We had a really, in the last six, seven years, we have had only one or two really cold winters. But right before that, we were having record snows and tons of cold. So I think it's just, I'm still not bought into this run as all global warming. Not that I'm, I understand that that we've got some warming going on and I'm not saying I don't, I don't believe that. Um, I think why is in question, but I think we're due for some, first and normal it's like this year we just yeah. we got a huge early cold we had way more mileage here in october than ever before so that wouldn't support that it's like global warming related they're talking about el ninos and la ninas well they've been talking about those forever and ever and i don't know if that's global warming related but i don't know hopefully we will because like this year when we get six weeks of just stagnant weather it just makes it hard for everybody hopefully hopefully next year. yeah i just feel like I mean, I just feel like it. There's periods like that every year. So, um, I know Scott Scott Hill. He posts in the Fellowship a lot. And he's on Patreon, and, too. you know. And he's on Patreon, and I see his posts. I've hunted with him and fished with him as well. Yeah, you've he's with not him? too far away from me. I yeah, didn't know that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So that video didn't make the cut, but <laughs> um, I have hunted with him. I've fished with him all that. And I know he's had a very terrible season. Um, but like I said, I, I believe their water levels are similar to ours. So I would say that's probably part of it, too. Um, I, I know that the weather definitely plays into it, too. But, yeah. I mean, we haven't had the freeze out. That's the main thing. But up there in Michigan, too, their season ends so early. It's just like, I don't know. So, all right. Next one. Brian, he says, I I'm just trying to trying to start getting into waterfowl hunting plan on doing mostly field hunts and maybe a few waterfowl hunts. What would you say are some most important items to have and what can I do without? So, okay. All right. Um, the, the essentials, the obvious essentials is you have to, I mean, you really do have to have waders unless you're going to do just field hunts. Um, to entry into waterfowl hunting to field hunt is really hard unless you know people because you got to get permission. Um, so I'm just going to take it more broad. It's going to be some water hunts unless you know somebody. So if you do, then you can just wear boots and camo and, and all that. But if you're going to be doing water hunts, you really have to have waders. Um, you have to have waders. So you have to have a gun. You got to have waders. You got to have ammo. Um, you don't have to have a call. 
and then beyond that, you know, it's just, I mean, I would say start budget unless you got good money, then, you know, just buy a dozen decoys and of whatever, you know, it's, it's just, just get started into it. Um, you don't have to have like a diver spread and all that. Just get some mallards, probably a duck call. And yeah, that, that hits up the basics. What can you, what can you do without the ending part? Um, well, I guess one other thing, I mean, unless you, you really probably need some type of kayak or canoe. Cause if you shoot a bird and, and when I started off early on, there was times where I didn't bring one. Um, if you shoot a bird and you have to get out there, you know, and the wind's not going to blow it back or something like that. I mean, it's, there's just too many times where that's going to happen, um, that you really have to have a boat to hunt. Um, in my there's opinion. a lot of people that walk in. I've so, been a lot of years without a boat. You just have to be more careful about where you're hunting. What shots you and, take. Yeah, and, and where the, the the depth. You know, you want to focus on the shallow, shallow co- if you uh, big lake, shallow coves, um, shallow marshes. But you just have to be more careful. not rivers. Yeah, you just have to be a little more careful. Yeah. So okay. Yeah, we can probably trim that off. I mean, there is definitely a barrier to entry with items you have to hit have to have for duck hunting. So, I mean, if it's something you want to do and you're, you're trying to get into it, you know, just build it up, you know, at it, whatever pace you can and, you know, try to connect with some buddies in the area and, and hopefully they have some of that stuff and they can help you out, you know. Uh, I know if I had buddies, I'd help them out with any of that, you know. The, the one thing that you probably most likely have to have that they're not going to be able to have for you are waders. So, yeah, that'd probably be my first purchase. All right, Drake asks, trips planned for the next season and chasing snows? Question mark. So, Elliot, you go ahead. We've got the flyaways trip. That's my only trip planned other than I know little places I'm going to go and camp out at in this state. But as far as trips, it will be the flyaways collective trip, and we have not decided a location. We've got some ideas, um, but that's, that's all as far as I've gotten. I will probably go out snow hunting I'm hoping to do our camping snow goose stocking trip. I'm not personally big on laying out in a field and trying to decoy snows, but I really like this camp trip we go on where we stock them and try to shoot two or three. Awesome. Yeah, I have, I mean, my, my trips are probably chasing the opener trip, figuring out that series has kind of been something I do every year. Now, one of my favorite things I do as far as putting a series together um, and then obviously the collab as well. So beyond that, yeah, I don't have, I don't have any other trips planned, but I'm sure I'll be making some. So, um, and I won't, I don't think I'll be chasing snows. I, I we don't have them in my area and I'd have to travel and there's only so many days I get off work and I don't have enough as it is. So I usually save those for, um, chasing some mallards. Alrighty. Phil says, do you all think ducks fly lower on cloudy days? My recent experience is that they're quite a bit more difficult to call in and commit, and they're not flying as low on a sunny day. I haven't been duck hunting but just about two years now and just wanted to know y'all's opinion. So I know you'll probably get um, analytical on this one. Yeah, because uh, as far as I know, I'm the only person that actually has data about this. I've never heard anyone else state data actually than their perception. Every single opinion yeah. is, it seems like, and we've talked about that a lot of times when you're just dealing with personal perception, 
how much can you really trust it? You're just going on your memory. Unless, now, some people do have their own personal law and they keep track of it. But um, So I'll just give you the raw numbers. And I will say the one thing that frustrates me is that with some people, it doesn't matter how much data you give them. You can't sway what they think. <laughs> and that's a little bit frustrating. Yeah. But at some point, at some point, I'm going to have so much data on this that it's you just, you just have to believe it. I mean, there's a point where data gets built up to the point. If we get 10,000 hunts in sunny days and 10,000 hunts on cloudy days, and I can give you the bird harvested per average, I feel like that that should just be a settled case, a done deal. Shouldn't it be? At some point, it's just decisive, right? <laughs> you build up your data and yeah. then, okay, well, we can assume that this is this is true, right? Is in my way. Where's my thinking wrong on no, I mean, yeah, numbers don't lie. Fact, like it's just, yeah, yeah. There is, I mean, there, there's always going to be outliers to it where certain locations might be better on a cloudy day versus a sunny day for some amount of reasons, whether it's due to feeding patterns or or whatnot, um, which are going to be hard to get that sample size at that particular location, mm-hmm. two thousand. But you can say overall on these numbers across the whole country that yes. Well, and on the, on the so, hunt stat site, you can also sort it by state. So you can go state by state, by state, by state and see these, these numbers. Even you get to the subscription, of the site, you can do it. You can go to each state and check. You can filter it by sunny days, by cloudy days, and you can see, see for yourself. Now we need, we do need more data as far as state by state goes. So on sunny days, we've got 3,381 hunts and the um, bird per Per hunt average is 3.04. That is for sunny days. If we go, that's mostly sunny. If we go to mostly cloudy, it's 2.71, and that's 2,648. So it's about three tenths of a bird difference, which is which is not totally insignificant. I mean, um, but is it is when people are saying, "I don't even hunt if it's a cloudy day." I mean, if 3.0 four purses versus 2.79 is that worth not even hunting on a cloudy day i would say not so i think that that it the difference between a sunny and cloudy is is greatly over exaggerated but it does sunny days are better but not you know it's not like you shoot three times or four times as many birds yeah and for me personally my stats are better on cloudy days for some reason yeah. See, that's where the, yeah. See, that's where people get, you know, I think that kind of attitude one way or the but other. It's a sample so. size issue because in order for it to be statistically relevant, you have to have a thousand is your sample. That's kind of a known. I mean, but number. you're, you're, I mean, you're like, what? You got to be at least a quarter of the way, if not well, more. On, let's see. Cloudy. Life. I've got 80 hunts that I've recorded cloudy because I went a lot of years where I wasn't, I wasn't recording weather. So uh, I've got 80 on cloudy and it's 3.3. For me personally, and then I go to sunny, and I've got 171 on sunny, and it's 2.7. Now I will I will say keep in mind because any any blue and teal hunt <laughs> scratch it out. So you know I think what would be interesting is is and we don't have a big enough sample size for this is mallard hunts. What what are the yeah. numbers on mallard hunts? Uh, mm-hmm. Because blue and teal, you know, it doesn't matter what the weather's like. doesn't matter if there's wind, doesn't matter nothing. If they're there, you're going to kill them. But 
So something to keep into, and it's also self-reported data, which anytime you have self-reported data, then your statistical reliability goes down because it's self-reported. But that's the only way you could do it is self-reported, you know? Yep. Alrighty. Blake asks, Mississippi Flyway for the next collective. And um, we've talked about it, and I can tell you that right now, I don't think that's in the cards for the next collab but hopefully I can convince these guys at some point we'll hit up the Mississippi flyer. I think we will. I think we will. I just, it, it, it's not looking like it's going to be next year. So well, and plus, Jordan, um, plus none of us are Southern hunters, so we wouldn't know how to kill any ducks down there. <laughs> There's other parts of the flyway that are North where they're easy, like Indiana, <laughs> where we actually just don't have ducks. So, yeah, I guess the Mississippi Flyway goes isn't all south. But I was thinking of Mississippi. <laughs> it's not. It's just not the state Mississippi. I thought the Mississippi Flyway Which, was all in that state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. Um, Michael asks, I shoot an under, an over under for duck hunting and get a lot of grief for not having a third shot. Is it really worth having the third shot? I wouldn't say I'm the greatest shot, but I can hit the birds. Um, I shoot boss two and three quarter, 12 gauge currently two and three quarter fours from the 12 gauge currently. And I feel like I do good enough job to be happy, but should I invest in a semi auto or pump for the third shot? I mean, the short answer is, I mean, a semi automatic is probably better than an over under, but man, like it's, I mean, Honestly, I probably use my third shot for cleaning up a cripple in the water more often than shooting at a flock. But there's definitely times where um, where it's happened, you know, uh, where I've needed three shots. And but it's just it's really not. I mean, it's really it's really really not that often. So um, I guess it just depends what kind of hunter you are. If you're more selective, um, you probably don't shoot three shots that often. Um, if you're kind of just guns a blazing. You know, I mean, I know some people, which is probably, honestly, it's probably a bad practice, but they just unload every single time. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's pretty, I, I think you'd probably be fine with an over-under, but there's, you know, semi-automatics are a lot of fun, too. They shouldn't be, I mean, if they're seriously looking down on you for shooting over-and-under, that is like such a traditional <laughs> I mean, you go back to the 50s, and it's like you get these engraved over-and-under Side by side. I mean, that's like, that is a, just a historic duck gun. So they just don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. If you, if you like shooting an, a, a double barrel, then do it. And, and I guarantee you, if everyone shot only had two shells, there would be way less wounded birds. Cause that third shot is a lot of times where those birds are out there and you're flinging steel into them on the way on, on their way out to where a lot of them even may live, but. So no, if you want to shoot an over under, do it. I like having the third shot because if you if you if you really are serious about trying to shoot doubles, which is something I'm going to try to focus on next year a little bit, um, that third shot is uh, really good. It gives you one miss out of the three, which does make a big difference if you're trying to shoot doubles. Yep. All right, Benjamin asks, "What are your training goals for Georgie and Chief? Also, any chance of a hunt test in the off season?" Man, I really like the idea of a hunt test, but I just I just been so busy. This last year um, with other duck hunting projects that I haven't got around to. Honestly, I feel like at some point in my life, I probably will do it. I don't think it's going to be this season. It'll probably be 
later on in life, um, you know, between duck hunting stuff and family life. Um, it's just, man, there's not enough time in the day. And honestly, the same thing goes for chief. I'm finding it the more and more busy I get with content creation, the less time I have to train chief. But if I had two things, man, I would, I really would love to get them to be steady and, um, hand signals. But beyond that, man, chief did excellent this year. Um, I mean, he knows the game in and out and he very, very few issues, the least issues I've ever had any year with him and we have a, i mean it's just been honestly it's been a joy to have him around this season so so good to have um a solid dog uh like chief so um uh yeah he's gonna be five in february too so he's coming into his own what do you got for georgie i am going directly to hand signals so i screwed up in my training i'm um, right so well in our hand and i left the system I screwed it up. So she's actually gotten a lot worse on hand signals as the year has gone on. And I, I haven't trained her at all during the hunting season. So at this point, I won't even attempt a hand signal. Although it's had some very successful hands this season, but without the training, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. So I'm going to go straight into force to pile. I'm following the retriever trainer.com Freddie King system. I'm going to go right to that video of force to pile. And I'm just going to progress her as far as I can on hand signals. And I may actually, I'm definitely in her lifetime going to take her to some field. And um, it might be this year. It might be this year. Um, if I start really getting in and training her and start in February, March, I, she's had enough of the hand signal training. I don't, I, I may, I might, I know for a fact it's going to happen. Um, I'd say it's probably, it's a well above 50% chance I'll, I'll try one. If I do that, I'll vlog it and record the experience and everything. So I'm a little nervous about it. I'm a little nervous about, I don't know, just, uh, it makes me a little nervous because I'm, I'm really pretty introverted when it comes down to it. People I don't know and stuff. Um, so that the whole sat social aspect and navigating that gives me a little bit of nervousness, but I'd like to do it. <laughs> awesome. Um, so update on the questions. <laughs> we haven't even worked. We're over an hour on the podcast. We haven't even made it, or I think we're just under an hour. Um, but uh, we haven't let's even made it halfway through the questions. Yeah, let's keep rolling. Yeah. No, we'll keep rolling. We'll keep rolling. Short them down a little bit, but you know, let's yeah. just let it be what it is. It was just funny because I thought I thought for sure we could just cruise through these, but it's just there's just so much to talk about with with each question. Well, so and ultimately, we love uh, we'll keep about on waterfowl hunting so much that we just want to talk about the things. You know, oh yeah, it's our passion. Yep. Oh yeah. So Brendan says, what moment sticks out to you as the most embarrassing experience ever? And I can tell you, I know what Matt from high prairie sportsman was. Cause he got beat to 10 K <laughs> guy from Indiana. <laughs> he lives in the Mecca of waterfowl. So, um, yeah. Anyways, you got one, you got one on the top of your head. Hunting one? I, I've got one that pops out hunting wise. Um, so my dad and I were hunting up this little Creek and we know the wildlife manager, the biologist in the area. And on that day, I don't know how the limits were laid out, but for some reason, like all late in the season, you couldn't shoot pintails or whatever. And so we had shot almost our full limit of mallard drakes. And here comes our buddy, um, the wildlife manager. Actually, you met him. It was Rob. You met him on the first collab. It was that guy. And it was at that actually location we were hunting. And um, he's talking to us and everything. And 
here comes this pintail drake. <laughs> and I just lost my head and I grabbed my gun. It depends on I grab my gun, you know, like I was going to slam him. And he's like, uh, you can't shoot pintails now. <laughs> I just felt idiot. Cause it's like, I don't know uh -huh. if to say that. I don't know if I just would have killed it or if my dad was, I just, I, and I had known that, that you couldn't shoot him at this time, but it just like, you, know, you see this big drink. I just lost my head. And I just felt like I looked yeah. in front of him. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That'd be an embarrassing one. Yeah. Um, It'd been more embarrassing. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have sucked. Um, man, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an embarrassing one um, for for waterfowl. I'll keep thinking. I can't think of one off the top of my head. So, Flipping um, and sinking your boat I mean, on I, a YouTube video is pretty embarrassing as well. Yeah, yeah that's true. The sunken boat crew. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll keep thinking. I mean, I can think of dumb things. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a character flaw that I wasn't embarrassed, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just lost. This is another day. How about when um, I beat you up over that goose band? <laughs> I don't think you beat me up. <laughs> I carried you across the, the decoys bread like a small child. I'll tell you what, you know, I'm 220. And you threw me over your shoulder like I was a, a ragdoll. Impressive strength. I was just talking yeah. with my, my wife and kids about the issue. I was like, yeah, he's strong. I'm 220. That's nothing. Just grab with one arm and flip up over your shoulder. <laughs> I'm not a little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you ever get a twisted ankle in the field, you know who to call, I guess. Yeah. Jordan, go carry me out. <laughs> You'll probably fake it one day when we're hunting together. <laughs> <laughs> um all right yeah i'll keep thinking i mean the dumbest thing i've had this year is where i i let my canoe get away from me and i almost sunk down in the swamp so yeah. i wasn't really embarrassed but it was dumb so um yeah sean says being a new waterfowl hunter in indiana should i focus my time on draw hunts or should i go to open hunt areas with less pressure so um Man, there's nothing wrong with going to to some draw area hunts, especially as a new hunter. I mean, um, I know a lot of those are are very specific. They kind of bottle you. They kind of yeah bottle you into a certain area you have to hunt and all that. So it's almost like a cookie cutter hunt, a cookie a cookie cutter hunt. Um, you know, they put you in an area, they have a blind, you throw your decoys right there. So there's like there's not a lot of things you can do wrong, I guess but there's not a lot of things you can do right either. So you just have to be there and hope the birds want to come to that area. So yeah. Um, I honestly, I don't prefer those, but you know, as, as a new hunter, it's not really that bad of an option, but the more you get into hunting, I'm sure the more you're probably going to prefer going to the open hunt areas with, with less pressure. And if you see the birds doing something, you can pick up and, you know, make adjustments and, um, get on the birds that way. Not only that, but a lot of the open areas, well, if you can find, if you can find places with, with out other people, it's just better to be, in my opinion, um, away from everybody else. So even if you're shooting less birds, I, I don't like to be just surrounded by people. So long answer, but you, I guess you can't go wrong either one, especially start starting out, just get out and hunt 
And I mean, that's going to be the key to learn and just get out as much as you can. I don't have anything to add. To that. <sighs> Take a swig. Never hunted yeah. in Indiana. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gordy asks, in my opinion, in in my opinion, in your opinion, what will American public duck and goose hunting be like in 2031? Describe the conditions and situations you predict. Elliot, this is you. Well, at some point, I mean, we have been with our duck population. I was when I, I, I jump all the place in the early 90s in this state, you can only shoot two mallards per hunt. And because we had massive droughts and, and the population just really dropped. And, and, you know, throughout time, you have big increases and decreases in the waterfowl population. And it's been like 20 years now. Where we've been way above the long-term goals as far as population. So I would assume at some point in time, we're going to see a drop. We're going to see a regression. And when that happens, we're going to go through less limits. There's uh, smaller limits. And not only that, but shorter seasons. I mean, they've got a contingency plan to bring us clear back to only like 30 days of hunting, which they've done before. So they have all these contingency plans based on the number of ducks in the population. So, you know, I can only assume at some point that's going to take place. So I'm just going to I'm just going to take a stab at it and say that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be much smaller bag limits in a much shorter season, which none of us want to see. But if I'm just guessing that that's going to be a wild guess, I give. and less hunters that probably within the hunting herd as well because you got a lot of these a lot of these run and gun guys they don't want to go out there to shoot you know three ducks i wouldn't think yeah yeah now i would i'd hope that the waterfowl community can can keep it up with conservation and all that i know we've um i I feel like that stuff has been trending up the awareness on that Mm -hmm. um and the importance of that and the importance of getting dollars into conservation groups and helping um, to take care of wetland areas or create more or restore more. Um, you know, that honestly, that, that stuff will help with that. And, and I think another big thing will be the political climate on, you know, where duck hunting is at, you know, um, who knows, who knows where the country's headed on, you know, gun laws and who knows where the country's headed on conservation. And those are the two big things to look at when it comes to um, what our hunting is going to look like in 2031. So I'm not predicting anything by what I'm saying. I'm saying those are the things to look at. I hope that it's, I hope that a lot of not, a lot has not changed from now. If anything, I do hope we do have more duck hunters. And I know that's kind of like a give and take because then you have more pressure and all that, but more numbers in the people who care about duck hunting and want to protect that for generations to come. Alrighty. So Barry asks, should planting corn for ducks and flooded impoundments be illegal? Is it not just another form of baiting? And this one is definitely um, a little one, a little bit of a tricky one. At first, you know, kind of looking at it, um, when I first started into waterfowl hunting, it's just something that's an accepted as a norm. You know, you go hunted flood, you hunt flooded corn naturally. You know, where it's rain and the fields flood, and you can hunt it right there. Um, so why should an impoundment be any different? But um, someone made this statement, and that's the one that really got me to think, where they said, um, what's the difference between putting corn in the water and putting water in the corn? So, um, you know, what do you think on that, Elliot? 
Um, well, I mean, what about millet that they plant? Is that also baiting? Uh, what about all, all, all of the different crops that they plant? I think the decision should be made on what is. I personally am not a big fan of flooded corn um, compared to moist soil. I think more and more research is coming out that um, moist soil is just better. It's it's better for all ducks. It's better in all types of weather. And, and with corn, you have to have, you've got to regulate water levels. And so I personally, um, a, a waterfowl complex, I would not be big on planting corn. I would be planting um, uh, so, so millet as well. But I thought you were going to say something. Well, I guess um, to kind of, I'm trying to steer towards the question a little bit more, but should those things be legal then? Yeah. Why wouldn't they be legal? You're, you're making food for ducks. I mean, okay. the, the so what about the hunt, hunting them why though? Because you could, you could, you why, could why still would, make them. The state could still do it. Why would we not want to hunt them? I mean, the the current biology, current science says that hunter harvest is a very low population. So why would we not hunt them? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that I think that the negative comes from areas that aren't like Kansas, where you have big state run programs that put duck food in places where everybody can hunt. And then you have places where big operations are putting duck food places where people can't hunt. Only certain people can hunt and everybody else is excluded from that duck food. So I think that's where the negative comes from. Um, and I, I agree that definitely would feel bad to live in that area compared just, to you're there, that Miller or something better. That's probably what they yeah. should be doing anyway. No. People just, People just think corn is so sexy, and but I mean, if you outlaw corn, they're well, just going to. Well, if that's if that's the only thing around, the ducks are going to eat it. If that's the only thing around, so I mean, I th I think that's even if it was millet or whatever, I think that's just what the negative um, comes from on that situation. Yeah, uh, like I said, I think it should be based on what is better for the duck population. If if planting those things equals more ducks, then you plant them, you let people hunt them. If it yep. doesn't, then you don't. Yep. Yeah, and I think that overall, no matter where it's at, you're probably right. It's it's better for duck numbers. So, um, yeah, definitely, I definitely can see both sides of it, but I'm with you. I don't think it should be illegal. Just I'm just playing a little bit of devil's advocate. Sure. <laughs> so, um, Matt says, Jordan, maybe you've already done this, but describe what getting a full-sized boat did for your hunting so um yeah no that's a that's a good one to to talk about for sure um but yeah so everybody knows i got the duck boat this year built the budget boat um <laughs> and had a lot of fun with it so definitely opens up a lot of opportunities for you um you know our group has had a boat in the past and so now i can go whenever i want i don't have to make sure the other guy who has a boat can go um, so it opens up those situations. You can bring more gear on the hunts. You can bring more people than just worrying about canoes. You can go further distances. Um, you can get on different places and scout that you can't necessarily get to from land or sea. So not sea, but sea from the land. <laughs> um, but yeah. So for me, I mean, it's just, 
if you can have if you can afford a duck boat if your group can um you're you really are you're going to kill more birds in a season with one than without one that's 100 percent 100 um my thought on it so i love it i'll never go back to not having a duck boat if i can help it amen to that all righty Elliot, are you on this facebook page yep. too <laughs> Why don't you read a couple? Okay. I'm not exactly sure where we're at. Read, read the next one and then I'll figure out where you're at and go from there. <clears throat> okay. Houston says, I've been going back and listening to some of the first podcasts and you've talked about your first shotgun one episode and I thought you should do a first gun hunt video. Um, it's not a question. Okay. Do you understand? It's not a question. That's a, it's a yeah. question. Not a question. Yeah. So we talked about the duck gun a little bit earlier, Houston. Um, I don't know if your first name's Houston or if it's, or if it's Taylor. It's and you have your name backwards, but you think his first name's Houston? Okay. <laughs> We're going off on a rabbit trail on this one. But yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Uh, we talked about that a little earlier. So, all right. Let's go to the next one then. Uh, another one from Matt. Favorite video each of you have made so far across the whole channel. What's yours? I know what mine is right off the bat. What? All right. Well, go ahead with yours. Uh, mine is the ultimate duck hunt, which we just filmed a few weeks ago. Um, it's called This is the Duck Hunt We All Dream Of. And my, my goal, once I started um, update, upgrading my camera gear, is just to get really good footage of ducks in the air and being shot. And I feel like if in that video I got more – good duck footage of enclosed birds being shot than in any other video I've ever filmed. And it was just such a great day. My dad's funny in the video. I just, and I just came off that hunt. So I'm like, so pumped, but I think that's my favorite video I've ever made actually. Mm, awesome. I'll post it on. Now I have, I, if you guys, duck gun, if you guys want to see it. <coughs> Mine would be tough. Um, man, I really like that first uh, Michigan chasing the opener video I did the first actual hunt um, from last season. And then another one I really like uh, is a wood duck hunt that me and my dad went on. I mean, nothing crazy about it, but it was just one of the first, I think successful hunts um, that we had together. So those, those are the two that stick out to me on the channel. I like that hunt. You guys hunted out of the pond. Um, You had so many good uh, shot cam footage and that it was last year and you guys shot your limit. You actually made a video for HDR oh, yeah. and um, your channel. That hunt, mm-hmm. as far as visually, was super impressive. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely cool on some of those. But for me, it's usually like the it's different ones than like like a pond hunt or something like that. So, um, yeah. Definitely, definitely a lot to choose from on those. Yep. All right. What are your opinions on dive bomb silhouettes? Versus full body. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it could be any silhouettes either. So, um, I mean, I love silhouettes. Honestly, I know people argue that full bodies are better than silhouettes, but um, I just disagree. I think that they're equivalent, and you can actually, if they are a little bit better, you can overcome it by having a bigger spread with silhouettes. So, um, you can get more in. I know with me going with the Kevins too, a lot of, we use silhouettes on water hunts a lot with them and uh, you know, they, they pack them into their canoe. And um, I mean, they got like 15 dozen silhouettes into their canoe with them. And <laughs> like, 
It's amazing how many silhouettes you can get. No way you can get anywhere near that with full bodies. So same thing, packing out anything. You can pack out, it's lighter. I like silhouettes over full bodies, and I'll do that any day of the week. I don't have enough experience with them to say, if, if I could just blink my eyes and I have 15 dozen set up, it'd be full bodies. Um, I, I think they just look better. Yeah, but you can't. That's choosing, the thing. I mean, I guess if you you're could. choosing, like, which ones do I want to have in, in my possession to do everything I do, um, right now, I would probably pick a small set of full bodies that are light uh, because most of the time I use them is on the river on ice and those stakes are hard to get in, um, especially the ones that I have to aren't even pointed. So, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. The pointed ones aren't that bad to get in on ice. And we actually did that in the last hunt too. So um, they don't have a point on the, the bottom of season. them, which I won't say which kind we've got that, that are like that, but you cannot <laughs> get them into the ice. You cannot. You've yeah. got it. And they may have them at this point. They might. You have to take a screwdriver. We were taking a screwdriver and hammering that into the ice and then put him in the holes. Anyway, anyway, let's listen. Yeah. Robert Ryan Randolph says, excluding collabs and hunt trips, what are you and Elliot's average drive times to some of your favorite local spots? Well, I can tell you my early season stuff is about three hours and my local area is about 30 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I try to keep a radius about an hour of options, um, give or take, you know, I mean, I'll do hour 15 here, there. Um, but I'd say the majority is 45 minutes or less. Um, but I definitely have some places out that I'm going, um, more regularly up towards Michigan. That is an hour and a half, hour and a half plus. I mean, that's, it's, it's very, very common to go, you know, hour and a half plus. Yeah. The one we did last Saturday was hour 45. Um, so my range is that I, that I am willing to do without, sleeping there i've done anywhere from 15 minute drive to three hours and a half but the three hours and a half that's just that's got to be desperate times that's brutal it's got to be desperate times <laughs> yeah our next question is from marco arias jr decoy set up when it's late season and ducks are decoy shy i don't think ducks get decoy shy i just think they get shy so to me, I'm just setting up my decoys as realistically as I can, and if it's if if yep. there's if there's wind, and I want I still like more than less if there's good wind. But Alex, I don't think they yep. get decoy shy. I think just they're shy. Yeah, no, I'm right with you. More wind. If there's enough wind to make motion, then you can go a bigger spread. If not, you better better bet you have to have um, ripples on the water. Motion duck decoy spreader for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know a lot of people use the ripplers as well and stuff like that, but you have to, you just have to have motion late season when they're getting shy like that. And then Zach Holt added on to that and he said, and when the ducks aren't migrating, what's the best strategy? So I think he's talking about stale ducks. I mean, I don't know. You just have to go out yeah. and get as covered as you possibly can. Make sure you are as hidden as you can possibly be and make sure that your decoy spread looks as realistically set up as it can be and make sure you have motion. And it's going to, you know, it's not like there's different strategies during those situations. I know some people talk about using a half dozen or whatever. I think it's just a matter of of being hidden and your averages are just going to go down during that time. You're just not going to be as successful. Yeah. But I, I mean, it, it comes down to finding the areas that people aren't hunting because when they're stale, they know where to go. They just go to where they haven't been hunted. It's like it's not that they actually know where city limits are or anything like that. They just 
hey, we we didn't get shot here. Let's go back there. And then they kind of get funneled into places where people haven't hunted. So start start checking the areas that nobody else hunts. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those are harder and harder to come by. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've, I found a little kind of area this year that's, you know, you know, it's just that's what you have to do. Be places where they didn't get shot. Yep. And that, that's where I sent you guys on the collab is stale times, but you got a couple spots that just kind of produce, even if it's a trickle of birds and it re- it really yep. helps you survive some of those, some of those, some what you can't do during those super, super stale times is go to the really, really heavily hunted marshes. You're just going to sit out there and you're just going to sit. All right. Wesley Miller uh, says, if you and Elliot were a couple who would shave and be the woman in the relationship, I can't even entertain a question. Well, like that. I can't even like it's uh, <laughs> you, you entertained it before the podcast. Came yeah. Out. I said, I can tell you right now it would not, wouldn't be me. <laughs> Under no situation. Yeah. Am I going to be someone's, some guy's bitch? It's just not, it's not going to happen. I mean, uh, it's just, you know, <laughs> yep. No, I agree. I will um, say you're I'm definitely not shaving. So you're definitely more stubborn of the two. So ask yourself this, who's more stubborn <laughs> men, men or women? I don't know. You guys can. I don't me. know if I'm more stubborn or You're not. You're definitely more stubborn than me. You're, you are. <laughs> I could ask your wife. I bet she'd agree. <laughs> mm. <laughs> She's definitely more stubborn than me. So I don't know. Is she? But uh, then. Oh, yeah. I don't know. We're both stubborn in our own ways, I'm sure. Yeah. So. Um, but Wesley actually goes on to say after that, because he, 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 I don't know if he agreed with you. He said, I can definitely see Jordan being a, a thicker woman than you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't even know how to respond. Oh, he changed it. He said, he said prettier earlier. (laughs) Prettier. Well, I don't, I don't buy that. Thicker, prettier. No, (laughs) I'm really pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's a, I don't know if any of these are compliments to be honest. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's safe to say that Elliot and I, I are going to have nothing beyond a podcast relationship. Yeah. So, uh-huh. and and we're both going to keep our beards, so yep. we won't have to worry about That's it. Right. All right. Um, I'm gonna shout out the name even the questions asked before. Chris Redding. Where? Why are there? No- um, Andrew Maxwell. Oh no, he's he's actually replying to that. It's not a question. He was. Oh, this is such a huge question, man. I don't know if we can really want to tackle this one. Ethan Vander Andrew Wert. Maxwell. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Why are we skipping the the map scouting one? Okay, I'm sorry. Somebody? I'm sorry. I thought that was a. I thought that was a. I thought that was a comment on a different one. Okay, sorry. Uh, Andrew Maxwell, map scouting for ducks. When boots on the ground, scouting isn't really much of an option. Okay, so when getting out on the ground is much of an option, maybe toss around what kind of cover to look for. Foods, if there is any way to somewhat predict what whole ducks may prefer on the landscape, like would they rather drop into a small cattail marsh or rather go to a cypress pond? I know those may be difficult questions to answer, but I guess they may lead to some interesting discussion. Yeah. So I think for this, for my start on this, is you need to know the places that ducks normally are in the area. Whether it's a big roost pond, a big roost area on the river, 
Um, you know, wherever it is, you got to know kind of where the ducks normally are in the large populations. And then from there, kind of work out. Because even if you find something that looks super ducky, but it's nowhere near anywhere else where you get large populations of ducks, it's really not going to probably hold very many ducks through the season. So I would start there and then kind of work out. And a lot of times you'll be surprised on what areas will actually hold hold ducks. And so, um, you know, that's where I would start. You know, we both use Onyx. So I have an unbelievable amount of pens on Onyx right now. I use color-coded for that, for the map scouting. And I'll actually place it so that I know when I drive around and I'm near those areas, I've already looked at it online, on my phone, whatever, and marked it as um, somewhere I want to ask for permission, somewhere I've asked for permission, they've said no, somewhere I've asked permission and they weren't home. Like I got it color-coordinated for all that. Public land places I want to try, public public land places I have tried. So, I mean, you, you just... Go through your map, do all that, and, you know, obviously look for the, the normal duck signs like uh, food and um, rest areas. So what do you want to add to that, Elliot? Well, first he says if you can't get boots on the ground, but then he's, type, then he's saying what kind of cover do you look for and what type of food. So it's a little bit contradictory. Um, I would just say learn your area. It took me – I'm still learning it, but it took me three solid years to fully scout out the main complex we hunt. Don't just go to the easiest marsh to walk into where everyone else goes. Get an idea for it. Keep track of what you shoot at each place. You can do that for that's on stats.com. And then you will see where you are most productive at which hole you're most productive. And then you get to the point a few years down later where you don't um, have time to scout something. You've got history of these places and you know which are the best producers and then you just go. But just you've got you have to eventually get boots on the ground. You have to learn the area. And if you learn your area, you can still be productive without actually saying, oh, there's birds here. I'm going. That's kind of a a mis a misconception that you have to actually visually see the birds to be successful before you hunt it. If you know the area, that's just not true. You know where the birds are going to be in certain when there's birds around. You just do. and you, You get out and you go. Oh, yeah. All right. Ethan Vanderwert, what are your tips and tactics for kayak duck hunting? What blinds do you recommend? What other necessary gear is there? And that's a that's a big. I mean, we did an entire <laughs> podcast on that. Yeah, I think yeah. We, so we have to do the cliff note versions on these, but and I think we need to do to revisit that on a podcast. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, so uh, I guess to jump into the tips and, and tactics on it. Um, man, like you said, there's so much to go over on that. Um, I'll, I'll tackle the easy one blind recommendations. There's the redhead blind really hard to get right now. It fits on, um, most kayaks unless they're super long. Um, most kayaks, what is it? What's the the dimension? About, about about four feet, about 12 feet long. Okay. And then yak gear has one as well. So, and that one kind of fits longer ones than that as well. So there's a new those one, are the kayaks. There's a brand new one coming out that I'm actually helping work on. I've got the new test doors just came in and that one is going to be the great thing about it, it's not going to be hard to get like the redhead. And so that that's going to come out for next hunting season. So if you're looking, um, I will definitely be letting you guys know when that comes out because it's, I've tested awesome. it. It's a, it's a great system. If I had to give, if I had to give a couple tips and tactics for kayak, it's just stay mobile Stay light. Stay. I mean, don't take very much with you. Um, you know, again, just take a small amount of decoys. Uh, I, I mean, I just like to be mobile when I kayak hunt. So, 
for me, that works out really well, opposed to having a huge set. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, if you just use that smaller set and you see the birds aren't working right, you can adjust and make it happen. So um, what, what do you got, Elliot? Well, that's the one downside to an A-frame is lack of mobility uh, versus layout hunting. That, that's, that's my only downside to the A-frame is that if I want to move quarter to half a mile, it's a much bigger deal than I just have my layout kayak. So being mobile is, is really, really important. And that's that's one of the things that your layout hunting gives you. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. Alrighty. And then last question we got. Um is that Just or Gus? <laughs> I don't I think know. It's just. Um, just GF. All right, just GF. Um, how do you get ducks to chain spots? Say they are out out of reach on land and they can't be accessed. How do you get them to pick up and move? <laughs> you don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, if, if you can get close enough to scare them, but I mean, the thing is, if you have birds, a lot of times if you have birds land in a spot, then the other birds are just going to keep landing with them. So it isn't a bad di- idea to bump them out. Like if you're in a field and you have, if you have permission on the field, uh, I mean, and they're landing over there, I mean, send your dog, walk over there, get them out of there. Um, or you're going to have to change your set. If they keep, if like, let's say you get them all out of there and the next birds do it, well, you're just going to be watching birds all day. You won't be shooting anything. Um, it really depends, you know, on the situation, but just kind of reading into it on that, assuming they're probably landing on like a neighbor's field, you don't have permission. So, I mean, I know I've seen where people even gone to extents to just shooting their gun in the air mm-hmm. to scare them. So, I don't know. It is once birds start landing somewhere that's not your set, it gets really hard. So, that's definitely an issue. Um, but yeah, do whatever you can legally <laughs> and morally and ethically that you can to, to get them out of there. Um, but yeah, those are just the only, the only things I can think of on that. Well, it also does depend on how many birds there are in the air. If, if, if there are thousands and thousands and thousands of ducks in the air, but you're not on the X, uh, chances are you can, you'll still get enough birds to, to do really, really well. Um, but if we're hunting over water and there are birds that keep landing two, 300 yards away, we definitely will try to get them off the water um, and not, and not let them be. There. Just depends on the situation. Awesome. All righty. Well, we did it, Elliot. I love those. <laughs> we made it through all the questions. Like those, these episodes where we talk about this kind of stuff. Cause it's just, it's fun. Oh yeah. Definitely fun. So um, I'm glad we got through all of them. You know, we might have rushed through a couple of them, a few of them, but we want to make sure we got all the questions answered. So the only problem is this post will still be up there and it'll be full again by the morning, but um, yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in for another episode here on the Duck Gun Podcast, guys. It is a new year and we got not lots of new and awesome stuff planned for, for the future. We can't wait. Um, to see what this year holds. So thanks, everybody, for sticking with us. Stay tuned, guys. I'm Jordan, Deccan Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Deccany, and we'll see you guys on the next one.